Hey folks, it's Lauren for Little Miss Neurodivergence recording this from Singapore. On this episode, I am going to continue with some anecdotes of missed signs of ADHD and autism when I was a young girl. I did this previously in episode 14 and as I did before, I'm going to go up to the age of 12. And I hope that this will be helpful for those of you who are in the process of diagnosis, be it a self-identification or if you are getting ready for your assessment, especially if you are like me, you know, in adulthood and might have forgotten quite significant parts of your childhood. I hope that these anecdotes will jog your memory or, you know, if you already have a diagnosis, then just that this resonates with you. Uh, the first on my list, because of course I made a list for this episode this time, so I would not forget, is that I used to like to swing a lot as a child at the playground. I would play, of course, on like the monkey bars and run around and go on the slides and stuff. And those like little, you know, those like little seat thingies where like you just kind of go like back and forth and you're like swinging uh, back and forth. I have no idea what those are called, but I think you know what I'm referring to. Um, but usually I would head for the swings if there was no one on it. Like the swings were my place to the point of uh, when we were coming home from dinner like with my parents and the playground was right by the apartment block we used to live in I would be like can I go on the swings because when we're coming back from dinner or you know grocery shopping or whatever it would be like late in the evening and it was really unlikely that kids would be at the playground so the swings would be free and I would just like sit on the swing for ages. I just wanted to sit on the swing. And the reason for this, which just occurred to me and I just looked it up to confirm it, is that it has to do with like the other senses that are not like your main five senses. So you have eight senses actually, like you have the five usual ones. And then you also have like your vestibular sense, which is like the sense of your head moving in space or through space. And then you have like your prior, wait, proprioceptive system, which is like, like the feedback you get from moving your muscles and your joints in your body. And then your interoception, which is the system that tells you if you're feeling pain or temperature, like if it's hot or cold, you know, if you're hungry, if you need to go to the bathroom, stuff like that. And for swinging, I believe that it stimulates or it helps with the need for regulating the vestibular and proprioceptive senses or systems.
it helps to, I guess, regulate us somehow. I'm not sure the signs of it right now. Uh, I'm kind of trying to uh, like look at my internet browser at the same time. It has to do with like sensory processing disorder or SPD. And when you swing, it increases blood flow. The second thing on my list is that as a child, I had a favorite spoon. This spoon was given to us by someone, I can't remember who, I just know we didn't buy it, but it was the soup spoon from the set of cutlery from Singapore Airlines. And I don't know if Singapore Airlines or SIA has changed like the cutlery they use because I've not traveled by SIA for a long time or traveled really for a long time. And um, this one spoon, which was the soup spoon, it was like a more rounded spoon. It had a really nice like curvature to it and it was really smooth and it just, oh my gosh, like if I had said this to anyone like before my diagnosis, I just know that people would not have understood, but now I get it. It's just that feel in your mouth, like that sensory feel in your mouth as I was feeding myself. And I wouldn't use that soup spoon just for soup. I would literally like knead it, and I mean knead it, when I would eat like say scrambled eggs, or if I ate like rice, I would be like, where's my spoon? That was my spoon. I don't remember what happened to it, but I think like after a time it got lost. I'm not sure what happened, if we moved and it didn't get packed. But yeah, that spoon was a big part of my life for, for my early childhood days. If I did not eat with my favorite spoon or my spoon, I would eat with my hands, which if you're in certain cultures like mine, we eat with our hands for certain kinds of food. So that was not seen as strange uh, in our part of the world. But one thing that I recall doing a lot when I was a kid that I would get like ticked off for and that was because one, I was quote unquote playing with my food, but also because I was playing with my food, I would be taking a really long time at the dinner table. And what I was doing was I was like, if I was served rice, especially with rice and then I like pour all my soup in and I would just like let the rice and soup like squish through my hands and like I pick it up and like squish it through my hands flatten it out in my little bowl or like plate bowl thing I guess it's a soup bowl technically and like just be really tactile with my meal and then my mom would finally get frustrated and be like, please finish your, your food. And it was really just me sitting there and doing that, not because I was watching like television at the same time, that wasn't allowed. It wasn't because I was reading at the same time and I was caught up and that's why I was taking so long. It was purely because I was just feeling my food. Uh, another thing that has to do with food is that I always wanted to eat McDonald's. 
and this was probably like a safe food thing and I have to preface this or like add on to this part about food which is I noticed that I don't necessarily stick to like one kind of food like say like toast and jam for like forever I will have these periods where I will eat that same food and then suddenly it will just be like okay I need to switch to the next thing that I'm craving and like I will eat that for a period of time but like I don't have like a very small window of food which I must stick to but I'm also not like adventurous so if I go to a place like McDonald's I will order the same things if there's something new on the menu I will not try it um, because it's I don't know what to expect but the reason I feel like I don't have such a problem I, I don't have that problem with like restrictive food intake or like food that I can tolerate is because like in Singapore like I mentioned, we are really multicultural. We have like a variety of uh, people of different races, ethnicities, and we also have a lot of like immigrant communities, um, even today. So we have like a variety of like Chinese, Malay, Indian, Peranakan, Filipino, Mexican, Japanese, Korean, like all kinds of food and Growing up, my mom, she would cook a mix of like Chinese and Malay food and also Indian food, I remember, because she was raised by her grand-aunt who worked as a housekeeper for an Indian family and she would like bring home food from that family for my mom. So my mom also had a taste for Indian food. So I was really exposed to a lot of cuisines, but I will have very specific things I will eat from certain cuisines. Like I said, like if I've grown up eating like Indian tose, which is a flat bread, I will eat that same thing and like it will take a lot for someone to convince me to try something else. Like that day my friend was trying to get me to taste like puri, I think, which is basically like tose's uh, ingredients, but cooked in a like fluffier way if I'm not mistaken please don't quote me on this I, it was a while ago I didn't take notes and short-term memory problems but like they convinced me that it was like you know pretty much the same as dosa just fluffier so I was okay to try it and I liked it but otherwise yeah coming back to the same food so as a kid I always wanted to eat McDonald's uh, if we were going out to like a place where there was gonna be more like street food kind of stuff I'd be like can I have McDonald's you know they'd be like taking us to some place where there was famous like chicken rice and I'd be like can I have McDonald's and if there was a McDonald's I'd settle for like A&W and like sometimes my parents would put their foot down and be like you're gonna eat what we're eating and I would like struggle through that and uh i wouldn't eat mcnuggets by the way like nuggets is something that i only was able to eat when i was older because the texture just felt weird in my mouth because canonically like i think folks on the spectrum you know like nuggets but yeah nuggets is a really recent thing for me but we had like fried chicken 
which was always the same like I'd always get that or I would get like the like fries on its own like and you know because it's fast food like they always make it the same so like I knew what to expect and I do that even today so yeah McDonald's I, that I think was overlooked as a child for the autistic side and I believe that ADHD also plays a part in it because I read somewhere that apparently people with ADHD tend to like like processed food, salty food, fatty food. I'm not sure if it's because it triggers a release in your a certain the release of a certain chemical in your brain. Um, but yeah, so there's that as well. ADHD and autism combo and McDonald's. All right, so I'm gonna move away from food, and this is another sign I think was missed when I was young, which is. I used to overuse Vicks VapoRub. Uh, it's this, for those of you who on the off chance might not have heard of it, it is like this little ointment that has this menthol eucalyptus smell. And like when I would open it, I would just kind of like hold it to my nose. The container i just hold it to my nose so that's how it started and i could not go anywhere without my vicks if i went to school i would have it i would be like holding it to my nose or i would be like applying it to my own face or on my neck and then over time it really escalated to the point where i was literally lathering on like a whole bunch of Vicks on my nose and like on the inside of my nostrils which my mom always told me not to do because she said it was bad I don't know why but she said it was bad and then you know because like of the sensory uh like tactile sense of like something some gunk around my nose I would like clean it off a tissue and reapply the Vicks and I would just keep doing that like throughout the day so that is another sign I think that was missed when I was young. Just really inclined towards like smells, a certain smell, but then also being really uncomfortable with the texture. Um, I also remember like I took a long time to learn to tie my shoelaces up until I recall being like in primary, two or three so that was for us like I was eight or nine I was still struggling to tie my shoelaces and I remember I kept having to ask a teacher to help me tie my shoelaces I just did not know how to or I knew how to but I could not seem to coordinate tying my shoelaces and actually as I'm saying this I don't know when kids learn to tie shoelaces. I'm going to quickly Google it. Okay, so it says that typically most children are ready to tie their own shoes at about five or six years old. I went up to about like eight or nine where like my shoelaces would come undone and like I'd get like a parent to do it for me or a teacher to do it for me. And I think eventually my mom just kind of gave up and got me like Velcro shoes for school and like eventually I don't know when but I finally learned how to tie like my shoelaces 
but yeah, it was something that I missed the milestone, I guess, for it. I also was unable to tell time for quite a while, and I'm going to quickly Google that as well. Like, when do kids learn to tell time? Because, like, I had a clock which was analog, and I would really struggle. I'm not sure if it was my dyscalculia where I struggled with numbers. And also, like, figuring out, like, which was the little hand, like, looking at my clock and, like, you know, like, kind of mentally having to go, okay, little hand is here, that means, like, two. And then, like, big hand is here, so that means, like, and then count, like, the multiples of five to, like, what time it was. So, like, I really struggled to tell time with a, with an analog clock or an analog watch. And eventually, my parents, I guess, they gave up. And at one point, I had a digital watch. And to add on to this, apparently um, kids can kind of start to learn time or how to tell time about the age of six, thereabouts, six to seven. Yeah, but I really, until now, I struggle to tell time like at a glance. It's better than when I was a child, but it's, it takes me a while to kind of like calculate like the... <laughs> It's so funny saying this out loud for the first time, but um, like calculating like, okay, big hand is on like four. So that means like four times five, 20. So like it's something 20. Uh, yeah. And the, that is, I don't know which part of it that is uh, specifically with milestones, if it's the autism or ADHD piece, but the ADHD piece for sure was that I kept losing my watch. I had like, I would take it out because uh, like, I guess it felt uncomfortable on my wrist. It felt like restrictive. It was damp because, you know, as a kid, I was running around a lot. And so I would take it off and I'd put it somewhere and then I'd lose it. And so I was constantly losing my watch. And then I would have to get a new watch. And that was how I ended up getting a digital watch at some point. But I think eventually I just gave up because, yeah, it was too uncomfortable and... I was like refusing to wear one and I still don't wear one until today. I don't wear bracelets. I don't wear uh, anything on my wrist because it's just too uncomfortable. So thank you for smartphones and having a clock that I don't have to wear. Um, yeah. Another milestone that I feel like I might have been delayed is that I did not get into boys until a later age than my peers did. For context, I attended a girls school I went to two different schools from, uh, for primary school. I went to one school from ages six to nine, and then 10 to 12, I was in another school, but both of them were girls' schools. And when I was in primary five, so that was when I was about like 11 years old, my peers were starting to get really boy crazy and like, I mean, it's not that I didn't know boys existed. I mean, sure, if I saw a boy and I thought he was cute, like, okay, cool, you know, but it wasn't to the extent of like the way the other girls were like really boy crazy. And so like, I feel like I lagged behind in that aspect as well. And I remember like feeling really pressured to kind of fit in. So on the school bus that I rode when I was 11, 
we shared the school bus with a boys' school that was in the area. And there was some random boy that I thought, you know, I was like, okay, he's cute, he'll do. <laughs> and like, I had a crush on him, I guess. Like, and I don't know if you folks like have felt this, but when you kind of set your mind to something and then you hyper focus on that person or that thing or that activity and like I guess that for me felt like a crush on that boy just so I would fit in you know uh yeah but I feel like it only like I only really got into like my boy crazy stage the way my peers did when they were younger when I was about like 13 or 14 that's when I guess like you know like you're going through puberty but that's a story for a different day um but yeah that was one milestone I think I lagged behind again like if I watched a show and I thought like a cartoon character or an actor was cute I was like oh you know I knew they were attractive but I don't feel like it was anywhere near the level of like my peers in actually in kindergarten as well where they had like boyfriend girlfriend and I didn't have that feeling I just kind of wanted to play catch and like wanted to draw and run around and yeah so that was something that probably was missed uh, when I was young I'm not sure about this this is something that I'm again don't quote me on this but I feel like was a milestone that was delayed and the reason I am sharing these like last few anecdotes around like missed milestones is because um, in the assessment interview that my mom did a few weeks ago or a couple months ago, sorry, lost track of time. She reported no developmental delays, but this was like 30 plus years ago. So she obviously would not remember. And that was what she shared with the psychologist was doing the assessment, Susie, and it went into my report. And so when I looked at that report and I saw that, I was like, that doesn't sound right to me. And so, you know, I just let it percolate in my brain a little bit and think about like what my early childhood was like, because I also knew I wanted to, I wanted to do a part two to this, like of this, um, like missed signs from my childhood. And these were some of the things that I remember, uh, that were missed milestones or like delayed. And uh, yeah, so there you have it, a bunch of anecdotes. I hope this was helpful for you and feel free to let me know uh, if you want to email me. I leave my email in the show notes along with like my Instagram account with, where some of you have reached out to me and I really love hearing from you folks. I am really sorry. I think a big part of me feels really sad and upset that other people are going through the same thing or have gone through the same thing recently and are just like trying to make it through the process and I hope that this helps you feel less alone and seen and heard and reminds you to hang in there and keep going even when it's hard so yeah i will do another episode again when i can and 
in the meantime, I hope everyone is taking care and staying safe, especially with this incredibly hot weather, hot and bright, which I don't know about the rest of you, but is really making my executive functioning go into like survival mode, I feel. So it's been difficult, but yeah, for me at least. So I hope it's more manageable for you. And I will chat with you folks again soon. This has been Lauren from Singapore for Little Miss Neurodivergence.